Coming up on Transformers University, we're going to go back to the Marvel run of the comics, tackle another four issues. Remember Skids from the cartoon? Yeah, probably not. Uh, he had a big role in the comics, and we're about to experience that and a lot more, including Aerialbots and Stunticons, all right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University, episode number 62. I am your host, Anthony Brutali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the Toy Archive, the YouTube channel, this podcast, and so much more. And I am so happy to have you here for this comic book episode as we go back to 1986 and relive issues 20, 21, 22, and 23 of the Marvel U.S. run. So let's get right into it with issue 20 of the Marvel U.S. run. This ran in uh, Marvel U.K. issues 72 and 73. The story is entitled Showdown, written by Bob Budiansky, cover art and pencils by Herb Trimpey, inks by Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey in their return, letters by Janice Chang, colors, of course, by Nell Yamtov, and edits by Mike Carlin. Uh, issue 72 of the U.K. run is the one with the different cover. 73 has the same as the American release. 72 features a cover by Jeff Sr. Now, I can go deep into this uh, story bit by bit, but first, I'm going to turn it over to John and Maggie from the Married with Comics podcast, also the Rod Pod uh, Transformers IDW podcast, for a little bit more on this appearance of Skids. Hi, we're John and Maggie from the Rod Pod, and we're here to talk about Skids. I love Skids. He's awesome. All jumping through the air and pew, 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 and MacGyvering his way into and out of situations. And he's shrouded in mystery. Skids is hardcore. Well, yes. But the Skids we're talking about today is Skids from Marvel Transformers number 20. Oh. Wait, that's the one that's an homage to High Noon. We love that movie. We do. The 1952 multiple Academy and Golden Globe winning Western produced by Stanley Kramer from a screenplay by Carl Foreman, directed by Fred Zinnemann, and starring Gary Cooper. Thanks, back of the DVD. The story centers on a town marshal who's torn between his sense of duty and his love for his new bride. She happens to be a Quaker and she's a pacifist, as he has no choice but to face down a gang of dangerous outlaws alone. How he ends up doing it alone makes for an amazing allegory to blacklisting during the Red Scare. And the showdown scene still holds up today as one of the best in any Western. It's been homaged, parodied, and referenced in all kinds of media, Western and otherwise, including Transformers number 20. Probably a good thing we bring it back to that. Anthony doesn't do a High Noon podcast. High Noon. Although he did spend like 15 minutes that one time talking about the honeymooners, so he <laughs> should allow us these things. Anyway, issue 20 and Skids. Oh, yeah, Skids. Skids in the IDW comics is everything you said before, but I love Marvel Skids almost as much. And this issue is pretty much the last time we get to see him in any medium before he shows up again in More Than Meets the Eye number two. So let's talk about him here. Skids in issue 20 is basically his toys tech specs come alive. He does or uses everything mentioned on his card, his daydreaming, his weapons, 
Even his motto comes into play. Ah, yes, his motto. Deep down, we are more like than unlike humans. A motto so lame that he points this fact out in the IDW books. <laughs> Although it does explain his behavior toward Charlene in this book. Uh, yeah. Skids is a very different bot in this book than when we see him again years later. Bob Budiansky definitely had his favorite Autobots, which he would take turns with as main characters, as with Ratchet in the early issues. Like in issue number seven, which we covered when I guest hosted on Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years, part of the Longbox Crusade Network, available everywhere good podcasts can be found. You know it is. Are you doing a shameless plug? The shamelessest. Cool. Anyway, as with Ratchet in the early issues, like issue seven. Who was originally supposed to be female, BTW, as I mentioned on the same episode. As with Ratchet, Skids is depicted as a non-combatant who is reluctantly called into action when he has no other choice. He considers running away, but ultimately summons his courage and does the right thing. Just like Gary Cooper. The IDW Skids does not avoid combat by any means. He's less a Gary Cooper in High Noon. High Noon and more of a John Wayne and Rio Bravo, which everyone should also see after seeing High Noon. My rifle, my pony, and me. So, uh, till all are one? Till all are one. Till all one! And you can catch John and Maggie on their podcast, as I mentioned earlier. But here, let's let them tell you about it. You are receiving a transmission from The Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. <laughs> which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com, at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. Once again, I want to thank John and Maggie, and uh, they are also Patreon supporters here at tfu.info. So, if you'd like to support the show, uh, you can do so for as little as $1 a month over on patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. That's patreon.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O uh, for more information. Now let's dive a little deeper into this book. This starts out with Ravage on the hunt for Donnie Finkelberg. Finkelberg ditches his robot master costume and steals clothes from a campsite, but feels guilty and slips them 100 bucks. He finds Skids on the side of the road and ignores him. And Skids, we find out his comms are down and he can't talk. Skids eventually found by two humans named Charlene and Wendell. Uh, they get him repaired and Charlene just takes ownership of him. <laughs> 
while driving, they get chased by the Lamborghini from the previous issue. Uh, we find out the names of the folks in there. It's Jake, uh, the angry Lamborghini driver, and Franny, his girlfriend or wife. Uh, I don't think they ever really established that. Skids manages to give uh, Jake and Franny the slip while Charlene is in the car, and he reveals his identity to her as he transforms. Uh, there's an interesting line in this uh, section where Skid says, uh, I wasn't built to be a hero. Uh, they say he, you know, which is it's kind of true. Uh, his tech spec uh, on the toy mentions he's a, a theoretician. And in this story, he says he was an anthropologist on Cybertron. Skids just wants to be Charlene's car and study Earth. And Charlene, uh, he finds out, loves old westerns, which goes back to what John and Maggie were talking about uh, with the high noon reference charlene takes uh, several days uh teaching skids about earth he she even washes him by hand Ooh, la, la. eventually they're interrupted by uh mr finkelbird who overhears jake and franny talking about uh an alive van uh in a local diner the former robot master wants Skids to take him to the Autobot. Skids doesn't want to go back. Why would he? They left him for dead. Ravage arrives, he attacks, and he chases everyone. So does Jake and Franny in their Lamborghini. Jude, really, he got a Lamborghini. Get over it, man. Get it fixed and move on. Skids and company hand to an abandoned mine where uh, Finkelberg and Charlene go and hide. Skid parks. Jake sneaks up on Skids and smashes his windshield, knocking him out, which is uh, just kind of a light way to go out for Skids. Skids wakes up to find Megatron holding Charlene, and he's threatening to kill her if he doesn't fight him in a duel. That brings us back to Heavy Metal War, doesn't it? Skids doesn't want to, and Megatron practically blows him in the half. We find out it was just a dream. And uh, Finkelberg and Jake are arguing. Uh, Ravage arrives and knocks over the woozy skids in van mode. Franny convinces Jake to help. And he rams Ravage with his Lamborghini. Skids comes to and tricks him to falling down a mine shaft. Then Skids decides to go back to the Autobots with Robot Master and basically dumps Charlene. And that takes us to issue 21. One of my all-time favorite covers, uh, Aerial Bots Over America. And the cover by Herb Trimpey uh, shows uh, the three conehead jets uh, shooting up at the five Aerial Bots. And this issue was written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, cover by Herb Trimpey, inks by Aiken and Garvey, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Nell Yamtov, and edits by Mike Carlin. Uh, and for the UK version of this, uh, that would be issues 89 and 90. So there is a gap between the previous two stories in the UK run. And of course, we'll be covering the, that gap in a future episode. The uh, covers here for... Uh, the UK versions, 89, uh, features art by Robin Smith and uh, is entitled Slaves of the Insecticons. And issue uh, 90 is just a recolored uh, version of the U.S. cover. Now, this issue starts with Bombshell using his Cerebro shell to 
Mind Control, a human who works at Hoover Dam. And what have I been saying since the beginning of this podcast? There is always a dam. He makes this human drive to where Megatron, Shrapnel, and Kickback are hanging out just to prove that he has control of him. Bombshell then makes the human Ricky Vasquez lick a grease spot off his foot. Kinky. The Insecticons and Megatron then go in Vasquez's car to the dam. Bombshell uses Vasquez to overtake the dam with the help of Megatron in gun mode. Back at the Ark, uh, Optimus Prime is being repaired, and we see that Skids and Finkelberg have made it to the Ark. Finkelberg tells Optimus of the uh, Autobots that have come through the Space Bridge, the Cybertron 7, as uh, some people will call them, and sends Jetfire with Finkelberg to verify. Optimus then receives word on the dam and meets with Wheeljack, who's developing these aerial bots that uh, we see on the cover. They're not done yet. Their personality's not programmed, all except for Silverbolt. Optimus decides to send them to the dam. At the dam, the Decepticons bring a giant drill through the space bridge uh, to steal the water flow from the dam and flow it through the bridge to Cybertron. They also send the Coneheads through, and they show up in a fairly miscolored uh, form. At the uh, Oregon Washington state border, Jetfire and Donnie Finkelberg find a fuel trail. Back at the dam, the aerial bots arrive and fight the conehead. Uh, Dirge and Thrust seem to swap powers in the dialogue, and then later Thrust is called Ramjet. There's a lot of uh, mix-ups with which jet is which in the uh, dialogue and the text. Uh, it's also interesting to note that there's a lot of use of tech spec powers and abilities uh, for both the Aerobots and the Coneheads. Eventually, the Aerobots will form Superion to stop the drill. They get distracted by Vasquez, who's wielding Megs, and they reach to kill him. And uh, they pause because Silverbolt was told not to harm humans. And in that time, Vasquez's kid calls out to him and breaks the Cerebro Shell's control. Then, Ricky uses Megatron to destroy the drill by shooting it. And with the day one, we get a quick epilogue back at Rat headquarters in southern New Jersey. We find that the Autobots from Cybertron have been dismantled by Circuit Breaker. And uh, I personally love the art on this one particular page. There's seven dismembered heads mounted on a wall, kind of like um, like taxidermy or like, you know, the... <laughs> the three singing heads at the end of the Country Bear Jamboree. Um, there's something about this this art that's just so cool to me. And uh, just a weird side note, I was really hoping they'd do these characters when Hasbro did their ConstructBots line, which was basically uh, build building Transformers, not out of like Legos, but out of connecting ball joint pieces. And they all had individual heads that kind of had flat backs. Uh, which means you could have tried to recreate some of this, but I don't think they did any of these characters. Um, just looking at it quickly, nope, that, they did not. But that would have been uh, pretty cool. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw them, uh, when Hasbro announced them. But if you want some construct bots, uh, go on eBay. I'm sure they're pretty cheap. The line did not do that well. And, of course, you can't have aerial bots without Stunticons, and that will take us to Marvel issue number 22. 
the one that features the Marvel 25th anniversary cover. So in 1986, I guess in the month of November, which is the publishing date on the cover of this issue, Marvel celebrated their 25th anniversary and did so with a line-wide cover for the entire month. So there was a frame, basically, and a hedge portrait, a face portrait uh, within the frame for every book Marvel did that month. And Transformers was no exception, but it featured Menasaur in the frame. <laughs> so uh, not Optimus, not Megatron, not an iconic Transformer. But because Menasaur was being introduced to this issue, we get Menasaur surrounded by all the greats of the Marvel Universe. And a neat fun fact about this 25th anniversary cover, there was a book that Marvel used to publish called Marvel Age, which was basically a cheap way to do some promotion for other books. It featured uh, previews and interviews around Marvel, and it was usually pretty cheap. It was like a quarter, uh, if that. And uh, the Marvel Age version of this cover actually had a wraparound cover with a back frame that showed all the characters who were you know, on the cover from the back. So it looked like a front and back kind of thing. It was pretty cool. The team for this book once again, written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Aiken and Garvey, letters by Hans Four or Hans the Fourth, probably a pseudonym for many people, uh, just as we had done early when it was many hands as one of the pseudonyms for when a lot of people did the work. The letters this time around by Hans Four. Colors by Nell Yomtov and edits this time by Don Daly. And now Daly would go on to edit this book for a long time, but this is the first time, first issue that he joins the book. And uh, could not find much on him, but he is now a New York City public school teacher. And a uh, big shout out to the New York City public schools as someone who was educated uh, from kindergarten through college by the New York City public education system. The UK version of this story takes place in issues 91 and 92. Cover 91 uh, features the Stunticons by Phil Gascoigne, and issue 92 does not feature the U.S. book. Um, I think it's the first time I've mentioned where the U.S. cover wasn't reused for part of the story. Uh, I guess they didn't do the 25th anniversary over there in the U.K. Uh, also fun to note that this was the 25th anniversary of Marvel in 1986, and 33 years later, today in 2019, Marvel is planning on celebrating their 80th anniversary. Uh, so yeah, comic book math there, folks. <laughs> um, I guess that just goes that the 80 goes back to when Timely was started, but uh, I digress. Issue 92 in the UK features Superion and Menasaur fighting uh, by artist Lee Sullivan. And it's the first time we'll meet Lee Sullivan in a Transformers work. And uh, he would do a lot of uh, art for the Transformers uh, through Marvel UK and even up to modern times. Uh, he is also a uh, saxophone player and plays in a Roxy Music tribute band called Roxy Magic, or at least he did up until 2015. And here's a little sample. This uh, issue opens up on uh, Barnett and Circuit Breaker recounting the takedown of the Autobots who look like they're playing with trucks in the splash page. Barnett is particularly sympathetic towards the Autobots, and uh, we go back to the art where Ratchet is still repairing Optimus Prime. 
bombshell uh, who snuck into the base. Clearly, the Ark in the comic has just as bad security as the Ark in the TV show. Bombshell fires a Cerebro shell into Optimus's wounds. Um, but because Optimus is pretty strong of will, I guess, because that's what it says in um, Bombshell's universe profile and uh, possibly on his tech spec that his Cerebro shells can be overridden or defeated by people who are particularly strong of will or the shell was defective. For whatever reason, Bombshell can only read Optimus's thoughts. Prime then goes to check in on Wheeljack, and Wheeljack is installing a tracker for fuel on skids so that he can find the Cybertron 7. They plan on taking Donnie Finkelberg with him and coerce him to do so by taking his check that he received from Burnett back in issue 15, $25,000, as collateral. Skids and Finkelberg go out to look for the bots. Meanwhile, Optimus and Wheeljack prepare to use the creation matrix to give the Aerobots proper life. I guess they've been properly personality coded. Meanwhile, Megatron is eavesdropping via the Cerebro shell. And Megatron then uses the Cerebro shell to hack the creation matrix. So as Optimus is giving the Aerobots life, Megatron is using the same code to give the Stunticons life. And this is such a neat trick and such a great way to further you bring... Um, new characters into the folds because you would have had Megatron kind of have a copy of the creation matrix uh, in his head to some extent just like uh, Buster did earlier on and unfortunately this doesn't get used much longer in the US run. In fact I'm pretty sure it never gets used again. Skids and Finkelberg are out hunting for those Autobots and while they're doing so there's a woman trapped in her car uh, threatened by power lines, and Skids transforms and saves her. This makes the news, and Circuit Breaker intends to follow, and so do the Stunticons. But Finkelberg, he needs to rest, so they pull into a hotel. Skids requests the power down, which you can do with him via a button on his dashboard. So he has a power on, power off button on his dashboard. That seems kind of faulty to me, but hey, 1980s technology logic. The next morning, they uh, hit the road together, and we find the Stunticons are parked in the motel parking lot next to Skids. The Stunticons follow and then barrel through traffic to get to Skids. Prime receives word of what's going on and sends in the aerial bots, but Rat arrives in helicopters first. A fight ensues, and Circuit Breaker attacks. The aerial bots arrive and then combine, and so do the Stunticons, and the Superion and Menasaur fight it out. Circuit Breaker then attacks Superion, as Menasaur blows a hole through him. Out of power, Circuit Breaker falls, and is rescued by Barnett. Quickly, Finkelberg escapes with Skids, and they end up at a motel again for Finkelberg to rest. Finkelberg powers down Skids, but it's all part of a ruse. He goes to the hotel payphone, calls Barnett, and sells out Skids to Rat. For $50,000. And that takes us to the final issue we're going to cover in this episode. Marvel US number 23, Decepticon Graffiti. And that one is written by Bob Budiansky, art by Don Perlin, inks by Aiken and Garvey, letters by Janice Chang, colors by Nell Yamtov, and edits by Don Daly. Cover here on this one once again by Herb Trimpey. And the UK version of this book runs through UK 94 and 95. 
and features art by Lee Sullivan in issue 94 uh, of the Battle Chargers, and issue 95 being the U.S. cover. And for more on this issue, we're going to toss it over to my podcasting partner in crime, the uh, Beavis to my butthead, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. <laughs> cool. A toilet. <laughs> yeah. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, uh, doing a review of Decepticon Graffiti, a uh, favorite issue of mine from a kid. And uh, get delving into uh, issue uh, one of the contributors talked about last comic episode, uh, body horror. And, uh, you know, I think that's something, you know, you can really talk about in Transformers fiction a lot. Is, you know, the different level of body horror you can get out of playing with robots who can be disassembled. You know, in comparison, when you normally write for, you know, squishy, fleshy people... You really can't play around with that a lot. And Transformers certainly has a history of it just because of the nature. It's like, well, he'll be fine later. So it's not as gruesome, not, maybe not as gruesome as a, with a flesh and uh, blood character. Of course, we see, uh, you know, they have a lot of fun. Optimus Prime, of course, the comic right here in the comics runs around as just a head for eight issues. Uh, he was also similarly disassembled, but more comically, in City of Steel in the cartoon episode. And uh, as the contributor talked about uh, during the Return to Cybertron arc, we find out that the neutral scientist Spanner has been turned into his own creation, kind of as a fail-safe, uh, you know, enslavement option. Uh, really, really, you know, they, you know, really think about it. Some next-level horror stuff and stuff you can slide into. Uh, comics are ro- with robots a lot easier than you can, you know, maybe other media. And this issue, like, maybe brings this to the nth degree. Uh, I, I don't know if we've ever really, except for maybe some of the IDW stuff, I don't know if we've seen uh, since in terms of Transformer body horror. I'll start off the issue picking up from the last one. Uh, the robot master, Donnie Finkelberg, has turned in. Uh, Skid, Skid made the mistake of trusting him with his deactivation button, and uh, the uh, rat team uh, picked him up. And we start off the issue. Uh, so rather disturbing things, uh, with, you know, especially in regard to body horror. We have uh, Josie, aka Circuit Breaker, here playing with Skid's brain, basically, and they're uh, looks like they're figuring out how to read their uh, their their memory banks and, and programming a little bit. So we assume that, you know, GB's here. GB and the Rat Team are dissecting them for uh, uh, trying to understand them, reverse engineer them a bit. And, you know, Josie's being very clinical here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of really showing her character here as like her basic, complete unfeeling towards these uh, creatures. Uh, you know, she, you know, she very, very was always very dismissive of any talk about them there being any kind of good robots. You know, she very, very uh, vaguely seems aware that there are two factions to it. She doesn't seem to care. And uh, and then we move on to where we have the aerial bots and the uh, the return to Cybertron pack perceptor blaster and all the uh, second year mini bots have all been captured, disassembled. They got their heads on the walls like trophies. 
and they are deeply in the middle of trying to reverse engineer and understand these uh, creatures. So we move from uh, a robot master uh, feeling pretty guilty about turning in skids and seeing one. He knows there's a bunch of Autobots, which he's hung out with, and those are pretty cool dudes. And uh, kind of realizing what a heel he is and probably just how insane uh, Circuit Breaker is. And now we're going to move over to uh, Megatron and his home in the junkyard. It's a very funny throne. I, I really love it. Uh, he has summoned Runabout and Runamuck from Cybertron. Uh, they uh, Obviously, he, these are two hooligans. The hooligans are loose. The hooligans are loose. <laughs> what if they become ruffians? <laughs> Hate to be a dustbin in Shaftesbury tonight. Perfect for this mission. Megatron must have remembered them from because uh, it shows that they 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 do they do know each other from the past. And uh, of course, can't go on uh, you know without mentioning Runabout and Runamuck's uh, kind of personalities here, which are supposed to be they're supposed to be dumb street thug punk hooligan types, and we'll see them them doing some really street punk kind of things in a bit, but. You know, their speech patterns are throwing in all these laughs, kind of, <laughs> which, uh, you know, of course, from my intro there, it's like, it's very Beavis and Butthead, but this predates Beavis and Butthead by several years. And I seriously doubt uh, Mike Judge was reading Transformer comics and got any kind of inspiration. It just happens to be one of those uh, circumstances, just one of those happenstance uh, moments in life. Where you basically we have the Transformer version of Beavis and Butthead, and pretty much that what we do very little we get a run about a run about senses kind of stayed in that lane. They were they will forever be the Beavis and Butthead of Transformers. Uh, we see that here they're not they're they're kind of uh, giggling to themselves and seem very happy to go around causing mayhem and destruction uh, with no other purpose other than just to be. Uh, just, just to have fun and destroy things for the fun of it. Um, Megatron wants them to write, to make a dramatic post, <laughs> uh, make a dramatic, uh, Megatron basically wants them to uh, give a message to uh, Optimus Prime in the most dramatic way possible as, you know, Soundwave comes over and says, I can just call them. And Megatron beats the crap out of him and basically tells him if he wants his opinion, he'll tell him what it is. Uh, kind of weird, but I, 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 this is basically trying to. This is this is getting to the plot of the next issue, which is a big plot, but filling out this issue with him, you know, instead of taking the easy way of contacting Optimus Prime, he's going to do it dramatically, which gives us a chance to introduce these characters and wrap up this rat storyline. So uh, a fun way they did it, uh, which leads to them. Uh, what about Runabuck running out, finding a, a, a human family on vacation? The youngest member of the family is a snot-nosed little kid that they're immediately drawn to as a kindred spirit. He starts writing graffiti on the wall. Uh, he's busted by his parents. Runabout and Runabuck just love this and decide they're going to follow this guy around. Uh, so we come back to, uh, come back to headquarters. Uh, uh, disturbing news coming in, Circuit Breaker and uh, Robot Master get told uh, there's been a, 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 
a string of strange writing graffiti has been found all over the country, hitting a lot of major sites along the way. Uh, basically, run about the battle chargers are, uh, you know, as they're following this family along who are taking a trip across country to see all the major sites, apparently, uh, are tagging not monuments. You know, we get the Gateway, uh, Mount Rushmore. You know, this family's really seeing, you know, this is a major undertaking uh, cross-country trip they're doing. And uh, they're following along. And then we get here a, an interesting, I don't know if, I do not believe the comic had really, we looked at Transformer uh, language, but we get a, uh, you know, a look at Transformer uh, writing, which is what they're using to tag everything. Uh, it's a, supposedly, you know, they, they study it, they say it's based on some kind of binary code. Uh, it kind of re resembles a hiragana in Japanese, maybe kind of katakana, maybe something vaguely Asian, possibly. Uh, but it, it's a bunch of weird symbols. We would, of course, later get an official uh, cyber Cybertronian uh, written language, which I believe has a direct A to, you know, symbol to letter cipher. So the, they get to the Washington Monument, the uh, run about run about deface it. Uh, Circuit Breaker and the team show up uh, too late. They've already taken off, but they find the family that they've been that the battle chargers have been following. We also get a little bit of like what exactly how exactly the battle chargers powers uh, translate to a fiction as a you know as a toy. Their their gimmick is you wind them back and they auto transform. Doesn't really translate to fiction too well, so they make their gimmick that they transform really, really fast, and I accept that. Uh, but the, the Circuit Breaker team figure out, you know, hey, they, they must be following them for surveillance purposes, so uh, we're, we're going to follow the family, and, like, we'll be set up for an ambush then, and the next place is Philadelphia, just a couple hours away from D.C. So we lead to a battle. They uh, attempt to ambush... The battle chargers. The battle chargers are a little more aggressive than the Autobots were to them. You know, showing that that you know the difference. Uh, basically, Circuit Breaker's failing to notice that you know that there is a big difference between the two factions. So she's caught unaware by their aggressiveness, and you know, a, a small child, the family they promised to protect, and nothing's going to go wrong. But you are basically our kind of our bait, our our point people. A uh, little kid almost gets hit. Uh, Sergeant Burger goes to protect him. She gets shot up by the battle chargers. So we move back to uh, Circuit Breaker has uh, got a concussion, two broken ribs. She's pretty messed up. Uh, the battle chargers are still out there doing uh, what they do, and they don't know what to do without Circuit Breaker leading the team. She's the only one of them that can that comes close to being able to handle these kind of creatures. So stripped of command and ordered to bed rest. Circuit Breaker wants to do wants wants to go out and fit, finish these robots, but how? She has no power. She's weakened, and Donnie manages to convince her, like, "Hey, can you maybe uh, you know jury rig all these robots together with your circuit powers? You know, we could we could create something." She doesn't want to do it because she doesn't want to interface with the uh, with any of the Transformers or the Autobots, of course. But eventually, she decides she has no choice. Now we see the uh, Rattle Chargers. I've now moved on to New York, and they're about to attack the Statue of Liberty. They think the statue is just exquisite, and they must trash it. 
So they have learned a new trick. Uh, they have been uh, on their, their journeys. They have uh, learned, apparently learned English and their written words. So we get, instead of Cybertronian, they write humans are wimps with several backwards letters. Just fine. They're just learning the language as they explain all over the Statue of Liberty. And at this point, we get one of the weirder uh, moments of the comics, I think. Definitely kind of disturbing, depending on your mindset. Of, uh, you know, it's a very, like, I don't, it's supposed to be a mix of all the Transformers, all the Autobots that they have captive. Uh, and it's a very, you know, I mean, I think you, you kind of make out what's like Cosmos's uh, exhaust. Uh, blasters on one arm. It's uh, primarily it's like a yellow, blue, and red. But you know nothing else. You know most of the other parts are seem very very generic. The legs are kind of uh, they're one of the aerial boss thrusters we would assume. So we get the climactic battle. The uh, battle chargers fight the abomination combination of thirteen different Autobots. Uh, they start getting the, the crap kicked out on the side. This is no more fun and try to escape. But Circuit Breaker blasts them out of the air. They drop into the Hudson River, and we do not see them for a very, very, very long time. Uh, we end the issue. Uh, basically, Circuit Breaker and the Robot Master get fired due to letting the Autobots escape that they had captured as part of the deal to get them to cooperate. Uh, Circuit Breaker's like, bleh, I want to, you know, do it my own way anyway. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I do believe we do not see Circuit Breaker for another while. Uh, and uh, I, this is maybe one of the last times we see the Robot Master Donnie Finkelberg, if not the last. And his last act is a little bit of redemption here as he donates the 50 grand uh, that he had... Uh, made off uh, snitching on skids to uh, to the fun to uh, fix the now defaced Statue of Liberty. And uh, that's it for the issue. It's a culmination of a couple different stories that were going on, uh, wrapping, it, wrapping it up a bit before we get to a major arc in the next issue with Optimus Prime. And uh, just overall, uh, a lot of fun, just, you know, just, just in retrospect, just the, the weird coincidence of Beavis and Butthead a few years later, kind of giving them almost new meaning to the Battle Chargers. The, the really screwed up body horror with the, you know, the, this combined mode of all these, you know, Transformers, you know, you know just how they were just being dissected and uh, studied by, by Circuit Breaker and her team. Little, little, could be a little icky for certain readers. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, a fun way to wrap up a couple different storylines, and uh, that's all I got. Uh, back over to you, Ant. And of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, The Salty Seaman, at youtube.com slash recharge138. Now, a couple of things I just wanted to mention uh, that Gabe didn't touch on. One, uh, Megatron uses... <laughs> Megatron uses an entire exhaust manifold to uh, beat Soundwave uh, during one part. <laughs> like, to basically call him an idiot and smacks him with uh, holding the exhaust pipe and smacking him with the muffler uh, of a junked car. Uh, the kid in the Spidey shirt actually harkens back to one of the cartoon episodes we covered, uh, Megatron's Master Plan, where there was also a kid 
in a Spider-Man t-shirt. And one thing they note in the um, narration of this book, the battle chargers transform faster than the human eye. And I think that might be a callback a little bit uh, to the toy feature where these toys did auto-transform. Lastly, the combined bot of uh, 13 Autobots, Blaster, the Minibots, and the Aerial Bots kind of looks like a uh, GoBots toy from that era. Uh, a toy called Rogun, which transformed into a cap gun. It's not an exact one-to-one match, but every time I see the combined bot from this book, that's the first thing I think of. And that will just about do it for this episode of Transformers University. If you want to help out the show, I'm going to go through all the ways you can do it, and I'll be really quick about it, I promise. Best way to help the show is directly by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash tfuinfo. That's patreon.com slash tfuinfo for as little as $1 a month. You'll support the show directly, and you'll get some goodies in the process. You can jump on and jump off at any time, and... All the proceeds go to helping the show. Now, if you don't want to spend a little extra money, what you can do is go and use our Amazon links, tfu.info slash Amazon. Those links, they'll take you to Amazon.com, and then anything you buy from there, Amazon kicks back a few pennies our way. It goes to help the show. Lastly, if you want to help the show in a non-monetary way, swing on by to our help page, tfu.info slash help. We always need photos for the Toy Archive. And speaking of which, the Toy Archive update is still going on. And another way you can help the show is by using our links on the site. Uh, any of the ad links in the navigation, top or right-hand side or bottom of the page. And additionally, in all the updated pages, we are providing external links to search Amazon and eBay for that particular toy. Uh, if you click on those links and then use Amazon or eBay, uh, once again, they they send a little bit of change back our way. You can subscribe over at YouTube, youtube.com slash T-F-U-I-N-F-O. The more videos you watch there, again, the more YouTube and the folks at Google help us out. And of course, you can catch the podcast there as well. Finally, if you want to keep up with me, talk to me directly, tell me you love the show, tell me you hate the show, hey, whatever, it's cool best way to do it is on Twitter at TFU underscore info. You can also get in touch with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash TFUINFO or on Instagram at instagram.com slash TFUINFO. Lastly, if you want to send me an old-fashioned piece of email, you can do that at info at TFU.info. Next time on the show, we are going back to the cartoon, picking up where we left off after Five Faces of Darkness in Season 3 of the original Transformers show. Episodes 6 through 10, which contains one of my all-time favorite Transformers episodes, The Killing Jar. Find out why I like this one so much, and so much more, in episode 63 of Transformers University. Until then, I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See ya.